The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey guys, a uh, quick public service announcement before everybody gets settled. If you're sitting in that back area back there, that sun is going to make its way across as I teach. So now if you want, or even, I I don't care if you guys move even while I'm teaching, I'm just warning you in advance, it's going to get warm back there. Um, And I'm preaching on hell, so it's going to get extra warm, you know what I'm saying? And if you move at the wrong time, it's going to look weird. So you might want to go now so they don't think you're being really convicted. But anyway, there's tons of seats on the bleachers. There's still some empty seats around in here. That whole bleacher section's open. Um, Just feel free to move if you guys get too hot. If you're visiting here today and you came here thinking this was stage five or you're going to see Keith Urban today, you turn left too soon. Um, You need to get back on Biddle and go a little bit further down and you'll see it all when you get down there and can't park anywhere. Um, Anyone going to that thing, by the way? A woo-hoo if you're a country music fan here? Yeah, because everybody that's really going is in bed right now at home. Um, And I understand that because I've been going and taking my girls there and stuff, and uh, I'm old. I'm old. That's why I'm wearing long sleeve, because of these annoying wrist brands, bands they make us wear. But um, yeah, so do me a favor. Grab your Bibles. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, while you're doing that, I have a couple other announcements. Um, uh, if your child was checked into the children's ministry, you'll get a text message if something's up that you need to go and deal with. We don't have a sign out here like we normally would when we're in doors in there. Um, Also, bathrooms are in the hallway across from the gym. The Connect Center is in the back corner, and we will be back here again outdoor one more service next week. Um, If you've been with us for a while, you know that we do this because once a year they refinish the floor in there, and uh, this particular year they use some new chemical that's like twice as strong, so it's got us outside uh, twice. It was either that or go inside and get everybody high while we preach. And so we chose to stay out here. Um, also, our, we're supposed to have our first Wednesday celebration this Wednesday night, the outdoor thing with barbecue and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's also supposed to be 114 degrees in Medford on Wednesday, in case you didn't hear. So there is no first Wednesday service this month. Like we're, we're dumb, but we're not stupid. You know what I mean? And they're fun, but come on. So everybody stay indoors lest you spontaneously combust. And then um, also, um, if you guys were here last week, you heard Pastor Sam share about what we're going to be doing with the uh, huddle groups and community groups coming up. If you missed that, go online and catch up with that. And uh, it's really important um, if you're part of the Heritage family to hear all that. Um, Huddle group life training classes are going to be the next two Thursday nights. So if you're either signed up to join a huddle or interested in joining a huddle, you need to plan on joining us these next two Thursday nights over at the Hub. And we're going to spend some time together talking about this new season and what it's going to look like in our community groups and all that kind of stuff. And so we need everybody there for that. Um, And that's on August 3rd and August 10th. Both classes start at 630 at the Hub and child care is provided. So you can bring your kids with you. And uh, last announcement, we are currently in need of of volunteers for the Awana program. That'll kick back up in mid-September. So uh, if you and your children especially really are uh, benefiting from the Awanas program that we have, we could really use your guys' help on that. Please see Pastor Brent. He's in that building somewhere. All right, enough of that. 
Um, normally, I would have you guys stand for the reading of the word, but I'm going to show mercy today. And uh, we're just going to l- begin looking together here at 1 Thessalonians chapter... Our text is chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, but for context's sake, we're really going to start in verse 13 of chapter 4 again this week. So let's look at that together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. God, we just uh, bow before you right now and ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this difficult, controversial, tricky passage, Lord, that you would uh, grant us, Lord, the ability for our, our minds, our spirits to be attentive to you, that you would be our teacher, that, Father, you would use the words spoken, Lord, but that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would be in this place, that we would understand these things, and that, Lord, um, even as our heads are bowed before you now, may our hearts and our lives be, be bowed before you, our King, as well. We pray these things in your precious holy name, and we pray, Lord, that, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good to have you guys here today. Um, this, with half of the city leaving town because of the country concert coming in, and everybody else going, apparently, to the concert and probably sleeping in today, you are the holy remnant, just so you guys know. So, um... When Jesus comes back, I've been told I'm allowed to tell you, you get to go first. So well done there. All right. So well done there. Um, No, we, if you are visiting here, we are glad to have you here. We're talking about a weird topic a little bit today, uh, um, an uncomfortable one, but I think one that'll be a blessing for us to look at today. We're going to be talking about um, the return of Christ and about facing death. Kind of a dark topic for an outdoor sunny day like today. And we're doing this through this letter here that the Apostle Paul has written. Um, He wrote this book or this letter to a church he planted somewhere around two decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is one of his earliest letters. And he wrote this letter to a church that he himself had planted just a few months previously. 
So this is a brand new church. They've only been around for a couple of months. There's a lot of things they don't know. There's a lot of things they don't understand. They've got a lot of questions about a lot of stuff. And so Paul is writing to deal with a lot of these questions and to try to encourage this new church because they're young, they're doing well, but they're in a city where persecution is on the rise. People are dying for their faith. More people will die for their faith. So they have some significant questions coming up, especially this whole idea of death. What does Jesus mean? to us with regards to death, especially as we're watching people die because of Jesus. So it would be obvious or, or, or normal, the questions that they have there. But it's still applicable to us too because I don't want to like break your, guys's, uh, break your guys' hearts or hurt your feelings or anything, but just looking at this crowd, like I know we're sort of a young church, but um, there's a lot of death in our future. I just hate to break that to you, but um, the statistics are pretty staggering. Um, one out of one people experience death at some point. So it, it's obvious that we would have the same kind of, of questions. This, this is a very applicable thing for us to look at. And, and like I said, um, just going to these stupid concerts every night, I'm starting to be I, like, I used to be able to bounce back. You know what I mean? But they don't even start playing until it's after my bedtime. So like I'm, I'm old, I'm getting old now. There's gray in the goatee. Like, so I'm, I'm interested in this. Like, what do we do about death? How do we face this? What do Christians do? And you got to remember the whole time, this is important. The context of the letter that we've been studying through here is that when Paul planted this church, the thing that he was teaching these people and that he was emphasizing with these people over and over and over was this. There is a new king, Jesus. That's the emphasis he's constantly teaching. Everything he's teaching through in this letter is under the banner of the fact that Jesus Christ is king and that this king is returning again. And the return of Christ is a confusing topic. It's a difficult topic. It's a controversial topic. It's even a topic that generates a lot of mockery. Um, so it's been two weeks since I taught. I was at the conference. Sam taught last week. Um, but the last time we were looking at this idea of the rapture and different views on that and everything. And, and even just that alone has generated a lot of mockery. In fact, there's a guy named uh, Bart Center who years ago when the Left Behind books had just came out and all this like... Um, uh, just this notoriety around this Christian book series about the rapture, about Christians being taken to heaven and all this stuff. When all that was really, really popular, this atheist named Bart Center decided, I mean, he was kind of mocking, but he might have had a good idea. I don't know. He actually opened up a business in which his, the business was called Eternal Earthbound Pets. And the idea was this, if you're a Christian and you believe that you're going to be raptured up into heaven, leaving everyone else and your pets behind, he would guarantee he would hire like hardcore atheists who were for sure not going to get raptured. And for a hundred bucks, they would take care of your dog after you're gone. Like really created this business. And then, and then he claimed that he had $35,000 worth of profit, people signing up for this business. Now, later when the tax man came call and he backed off of that and said, no, just kidding. We didn't actually have any clients. He was just kind of mocking, but that's not uncommon. This whole topic about what happens in end times. I mean, even the Bible tells us that in the end, people will say, why do you guys talk about this stuff? Every day just keeps on going. This was 50 AD and here we are in 2017 and it's all the same. So it's a tricky and controversial topic for sure. But the stats are unavoidable, so how do we face it? Well, when Paul is talking about this idea of death, and the reason we started in verse 13 before is because Paul starts out and he says, listen, concerning those who are asleep, or in other words, concerning those who have died, I don't want you to be uninformed so that you don't grieve as people who don't have hope. 
Now, something we didn't spend time on when we were in this text a couple of weeks ago that we need to consider for a minute is this idea of him saying, I don't want you to grieve like people that don't have hope. What Paul is not saying is, Christians, when it comes to death, tough it out. Have a stiff upper lip. Just smile and fake it, but don't grieve. That is not what Paul says. This plasticky version of Christianity that some people think that like if we show sadness, that shows a weakness in faith, so we can't grieve when bad things happen. That is not what he says. He's saying to grieve, but he's saying to grieve with hope. He's saying don't grieve like those who don't. And, and this idea or any idea of a version of our faith that has to exclude grief because somehow that's showing weakness in faith is baloney mainly because of Jesus. I mean, he grieved. We have this awesome story in John chapter 11 that many of you guys know. It's the story of Lazarus, Jesus's friend who died, and Jesus raises him up from the dead. And the story, actually, when you really look at it, there's so many nuances and so many things to learn and take from it. In this story, we see Jesus facing this subject of death on his own. And I don't mean yet his own death, which would only be a couple of weeks later, but I mean this idea of here's someone I love who has died. Here's the loss of a loved one. And how did Jesus deal with it? Well, the Bible says he wept. Like not just a tear down the eye like the old Native American commercial who finds trash on the side of the road, just stands there with one little tree. Like not that. Like he wept. And when Jewish people talk about weeping, it's weeping. It's emotional. It's, it's emotive in your weeping. And actually, and I know I've said this before, so a lot of you guys know this, but for those who may not, I think this is important to understand. The, the emotion that Jesus has at that funeral, essentially, as he stands in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, the emotion that Jesus has there is more than even just weeping. It's not just sadness that his friend has died, but the Bible actually tells us that Jesus was shaking with anger as he stands at this funeral. And if you've not heard this before, it sounds out of place. Like, what do you, Jesus got mad? Jesus was angry? And at a funeral, that seems completely inappropriate. And the reason we think that is because of our Western sentimental approach towards funerals and death and those things. But, but this text actually, in the English version, in all of our translations, it says about Jesus that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. But the English translations are the only ones in the history of the Bible, including our earliest transcripts, that actually say that. What it actually says is he was indignant. He was angry. He's weeping over the loss, but he's angry because he's standing here facing the results of death. And he's seeing the weeping of Lazarus' sisters. He sees the broken hearts going on. He understands that Lazarus may have suffered as he died. He sees all of this stuff, and as he sees it, he's sad over the fact that there's loss, but he's angry over death. And the reason that he's angry over death is because death is an alien invader. Like it, it's not part of the plan. Like people always love to say like, man, if there really is a God, then why does he let these bad things happen? It's because they start reading, I guess, in Genesis 4. Genesis 1 starts out with how things were supposed to be. We were not created to die. We were not supposed to have wrinkles and crow's feet and all those kinds of things. Like it's just cankles, all that stuff. Like we're not supposed to have any of that. But when we sin and rebelled against God, death and destruction, everything just broke. The whole, the harmony of everything that God had created was broken in that moment. And so as Jesus is standing there watching all this stuff happen, he's looking at it and he's going, this is not the way it was supposed to be. 
This is not why I created you. This is not what I wanted for you guys. This isn't what I want. And then in this moment, in this place where all of this is going on, we see this, Jesus' reaction to it. And, and, and you got to realize something. I remember several years ago when I was on staff at a different church, I did a, a memorial service, and there was an open casket at the service, which always weirds me out. It just does. And I'm from the South. Like, everybody has open caskets in the South. But it just weirds me out because it's weird. It's, if you really think about what you're doing, it's weird. It's just weird. And I remember being at the funeral, and the casket was open, and the man who had passed away is laying there. And, you know, they've done the whole embalming process, and they've done makeup, and they do all this stuff. Think about it. To try to make him not look dead, it's almost like, I know it's a coping mechanism for a lot of people. It's a way of closure. But it's also like a, let's pretend he's really not. Let's pretend he's asleep. And, and we're there, and this, this lady was standing near the casket, and I remember her saying, oh, look at him. He looks so natural. And with all due respect, I was thinking, no, he doesn't at all. It doesn't look natural at all. But if you really think about it, there's nothing truly natural about death in terms of the fact that it was never supposed to be that way. And so here's Jesus with this kind of emotion, watching all of this kind of stuff happen. And then in that moment, Martha, she's the sister of Lazarus. She comes up to Jesus. And in that, we get to see what grieving with no hope looks like. Because she says to Jesus, if you had been here, I know that my brother wouldn't have died. If you had been here, you would have been able to save him and he would have been okay. In other words, where were you? Like, if you were here, it would have been okay, but you weren't here, and he died, and now you're here. But it doesn't matter now, because he's already gone. There's no hope. There's no point to any of this stuff. Like, there's this hopelessness to it. My brother is gone, and he's not coming back. This is grieving without hope. And so in dealing with this sort of grief that she has, Jesus speaks to her. And it's really similar to what Paul's trying to do here. He wants to teach her something. He's like, listen, you need to really understand something, Martha. And he leans into her and he says this, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus approaches her or he confronts this weeping without hope by saying, you need to understand something about me. You need to understand something about who I am, what I'm about to do what I'm about to provide and what that's going to mean for you down the road. And then literally within a couple of weeks, Jesus would go to the cross himself. On the cross, he would carry that penalty of death and shame from all of our rebellion from day one till day end. All of our rebellion before God goes upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He dies and pays that price on our behalf. But two days later on the third day rises again. He's ascended into heaven where he's now not only defeated sin and death and provided a way for us, but it proves he is the king. It's what all the ancient scriptures had always spoken about, that this king, this Messiah, this is who he's talking about. And so Jesus approaches this, says, this is who I am, and then goes and actually does this, completes this. So Paul now, writing to these people in this Thessalonian church, in the city of Thessalonica, he wants to give them the same thing. 
And so that's why he's telling them, as we just read, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. I want you to know something. I want you to understand something about those who are going to fall asleep so that you don't grieve like people that don't have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even Jesus, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And he's giving, it's the same exact teaching that Jesus has given to Martha here in front of the tomb of Lazarus, that because of him, we now have hope. And this death thing is just temporary now. It's not natural. In fact, not only has Jesus beaten it at the cross, but now Paul's saying, even more than that, the king's returning again. And when this king returns, all of the presence of death's going to be gone. Martha, Mary, any of the other people, listen, Jesus, this king is coming back. And when he comes back, this death thing will be eradicated forever. All this stuff, the fears, the, all the stuff that we have, it's going to be gone. Everything that has been broken is going to be put back together again when our king comes and this new kingdom is established. That's good news for that church, amen? And so if he's telling them that, guys, I know you're worried about these people that died, and I know that it's getting hot around here, and I don't just mean the sun. I mean the persecution that's coming around you guys. The Romans are really trying to get rid of this stuff. I know all this is going on, but you don't have to to grieve about those that have died. You don't even have to face death yourself without hope because our king's coming back. And when our king comes back, he's going to put all of these things back together. This is what he's going to do. And it's an incredible picture because, and we talked briefly about this last week, but I want you to grasp this picture. You may have even heard this here before, but the word that he uses there in chapter four at the end when he says that we're going to meet him, the word there for meet, it's used three different times in the New Testament scriptures. Every time it's used, it's in reference to an ancient practice that would take place regarding cities when a visiting um, victorious king or dignitary is coming to visit the city. And so think about how this plays out. Think about what Paul's saying in here. In those days, if we, let's pretend heritage is not a church here, we're a city. We're an ancient walled city, just like Jericho or any of the other stories that you, you read about. And we find out that there is an invading army coming. And their goal is death. They want to destroy us. They want to take us out. They want to own the city. They're coming. What are we going to do? Well, our king would gather together his army, and they would march out the gates of the city, and they would go off to do battle and to take on our enemy. Now, if the king failed, if our king goes and fights this enemy and he's defeated, they would take military advisors that are left over in the army. Those men would go back to the city. We would be here inside the city, and here comes these military advisors, and they would say, okay, Heritage, listen, our king has been defeated. He was not able to defeat this enemy. He has not secured our salvation and our life for us. We're in trouble. So here's what we need to do. Mike, I need you up on the turrets up there. Bill, I need you over there. I need you guys to barricade the doors. And he would have all these instructions because we're still in trouble. The enemy's still coming, and we've got to do something because our king has not been able to deliver us. But if the king was successful... If our king took his army out, the approaching enemy was coming, and he vanquished the enemy that was coming to kill us, then a group of men would be sent from the battlefield back to the city, but not military advisors this time. They would send back men literally known as gospelers, carriers of good news. And they would come into the city, and they would tell all of us, Heritage, good news, our king is one. 
We're not in trouble anymore. We are saved. We're not going to die today anyway. We are good to go. We are safe. And there would be this celebration. And then, as the king and the army are making their way back to the city, we would go outside the gates of the city to celebrate with our conquering king and this parade form as they make their way back into the city. It's very similar to what you see kind of happening, at least in picture, in the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ when he comes into the city. The conquering king has won. We have been saved. We don't have to fear death. Let's run out and greet our king, and it's a giant celebratory parade coming back in. And this is what Paul's telling them. Guys, I know you're afraid the Romans are killing people. You guys are oppressed. You're all this stuff. But look, you don't have to fear this stuff. Our king has one and our king's coming again. And we're going to meet him and it's going to be all right. Comfort one another. Encourage one another with these things. You don't have to get down. Grieve, yes, but not without hope because our king's coming. I was, I was about to say that should have totally got an amen or two. You know what I mean? But hey, that's true, right? Now, hold on. It gets better and weirder. So here, here's what happens now. The obvious question then would be what? When? If you're those people, like people are dying today, Paul. Somebody died yesterday, Paul. So when? When's the king coming? And Paul can be so frustrating to read because his answer don't worry about it. None of your business. That's what he says. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 5. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need anything be written to you. He literally says, this is our conquering king is coming. Everything's going to be amazing. When? Yeah, you don't need me to write about that. That's not going to do you any good. Don't worry about it. Why is he saying that? Why, why would he say Guys, look, at the times and seasons and stuff, you don't, you don't need a timeline. That's not what you need. You don't need a calendar. You don't need an appointment in your iCal. You don't need any of that stuff. That's not what's going to benefit you. Why is that? Well, I, I'll tell you how I, I think of it anyway. Um, every once in a while, it's not very often, but every once in a while, my wife might go out of town. She's going on a trip in, I think, September. I can pretty much tell you how it's going to go. She's here. She knows. It's going to be me and the kids, and we're going to order pizza we're going to watch way too many movies. We're just going to relax and kick back. And my wife is the one who our house is clean because my wife is a good wife, not because I have any, like, that's just not me. So what's going to happen is when she goes out of town, we're going to kick back. We're going to watch movies. We're going to order in food. We're going to hang around the house. And then on Sunday or whatever the day is that she returns, I'm going to say, so, uh, hey, hon, what, what, what time are you leaving? She'll go, well, I'm, we're leaving Portland here around one. And I start doing math. <laughs> you men know why, too, don't you? Right? Okay, let's see. That's about four-hour drive. She drives a little slower than me. Four-and-a-half-hour drive. They're going to stop for lunch somewhere. That means I better be ready by five. Hey, honey, do me a favor. Hey, text me when you hit, like, Eugene. <laughs> right? Now, when she hits Eugene and I get the call, What happens? It is Martha Ray, or it is like whatever. It is clean the house. It is happy homemaker. It is everybody quick. We got to do this. Like it's time. She's coming home. We don't want to get caught like this. Clean now. And that's what we'll do. But can I just tell you guys, church? I think that's what we would do. We are intended to live with a kind of gospel urgency. That, that, 
does not waste time because there's people around us all the time that do not understand. They do not know Christ. They do not know this king. They do not know what this king has done, and they do not know that this king is coming back. And the Bible tells us in the book of Peter, it specifically says the only reason, it it actually says in the context of people saying, you know what, you guys always say Jesus is coming back, and every day they just keep going by. Why do you say all this kind of stuff? And he says, the only only reason that he hasn't come back yet is because he wants people to be saved. That means, church, the only reason Heritage Christian Fellowship exists is to spread the good news of the king that has conquered death. That's the only reason that we're still here. And if we knew the certain day that he was going to come, we would not live with that same kind of gospel urgency that the Bible calls us to. In fact, I don't know that if we would do a lot of the things that the Bible calls us to. We would probably procrastinate. We wouldn't feel the pressure for sure. Oh, we have time. I'll deal with that tomorrow. And that's not at all what it is that we're actually called to do. We're not called to procrastinate. Now, how do we do this? Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This idea of the day of the Lord, I'm going to give you the quick version of this because I know it's already getting hot back there in the sun. But, but the day of the Lord is an Old Testament reference that made its way all the way in through the New Testament. It actually starts when the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt. When Pharaoh had been vanquished, the waters came back together. Pharaoh's army that was trying to come and kill God's people, God had judged them for their rebellion and sin and had delivered his people from them. And the people of Israel all got together and they celebrated and they sang a song and they they partied and, and worshiped and they talked about the day. And then they would celebrate and commemorate that day every year on that day, which is the feast of what? Passover. So there would be this constant remembrance and celebration of the day or the day of the Lord. Now, what happened, though, is that as Israel became a nation and was still experiencing a lot of the persecution and all those things that they'd been through because they had failed to act and live as God's people, they were constantly then looking forward again to the day, the day that God would come, he would judge his enemies and deliver his people. And the one thing that the Bible is really, really clear about concerning the day It's not time, season, schedule, but it tells us this, that it's coming with urgency and it will be be dramatic and sudden. It says, verse 3, while people are saying there's peace and security, or in other words, everything's fine, everything, it's just a normal day, um, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And the idea of the the labor pains here is not that something happened and now we have time because we're going to see it come. It's this idea of, oh, it's now. Like, I I don't know about you guys, what your experience was like. When my oldest daughter was born, it was the middle of the night and my wife was trying to wake me up. No easy task in the middle of the night. And and she goes, hey, honey, my water broke. And I swear, I, I know this sounds like some stupid, like, sitcom or Everybody loves Raymond sketch or something, but I literally from a sleep said, honey, it's okay. We'll fix it tomorrow. <laughs> like I really said that. And then she's like, no, no, no. My water broke. And I'm like, oh, 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 it's time. Let's get up. We got to get the bags. We got to get them. Bro wants to take a shower. We're going to get all ready. Like it's like game on. Suddenly it's here. This thing we've been wondering about suddenly now it's time. And that's this kind of urgency. It's going to be that. But the thing is that verse 3, while it tells us that it will be an unexpected surprise to all, it'll be an unwelcome event for many. It's It's the part nobody likes. 
This idea of like, so God's going to judge me? Like that's going to happen? You actually believe in that? What kind of God would do such a thing? God's a jerk. Why, why would I follow such a faith that believes in a God like that? Oh, man, dear person, please don't stop the story so short. The judgment's coming, but God came himself in the flesh to bear the weight of that judgment himself for you. It's how much he loves you. God's not a jerk. He's the most loving thing. He is love. It's our pride that wants to stop at that. Just don't, and man, if you're here, don't let it be that unwelcome event. Follow the king. He is coming back. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God's people, so he says, you don't need to know when he's coming, but you do need to know, and this is very Pauline. This is classic Pauline theology right here. He does say, you don't need to know when he's coming, but you do need to know who you are. Verse 4, you are not children, or you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day, and we are not of the night or the darkness. This is that classic Paul, you guys that have been with us for a little while, you remember this. We saw this in Ephesians, we saw this in Philippians, we saw it in Colossians, and we're seeing it here. Know who you are. You're children of God. It's, don't jump to, here's what it means to be a Christian. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. That's not in the Bible. The Bible never presents Christianity like this. People do, but they're wrong. What the Bible presents is an identity. The Bible says, when Christ died for you, when you become a follower of the king, your identity shifts. You're a citizen of a new kingdom. You're a child of God. Anything we do for God or don't do because we want to honor God comes out of that identity. Christianity is not a set of rules or morals to follow. And this is what Paul is constantly stressing. And so this is what he's saying here. Listen, church, you don't need to know the exact day Jesus is coming again. You just need to know who you are in Christ. You need to follow the king. He's constantly reminding them, you're going to be fine. And even facing death, the king who adopted you into his family is coming. Know who you are. This is classic Pauline theology. And then out of what we are, out of who we are, is where this whole what does it look like to be a Christian kind of that Christian living portion that we'll get into next week for sure comes. Because then in verse 6, so then, in other words, because we know who we are, children of the light, children of God, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, at, who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and for a helmet, hope of salvation. You go, wait a minute, this is inaccurate. My husband works a night shift. He sleeps during the day. Um, and my cousin's an alcoholic. He's drunk day and night. And you go, no, that's not what he's saying. It's not a moral lesson where he's saying you better not be drinking. He's saying be alert, be awake. Be ready. Don't get caught by surprise. Be about the things of the kingdom of God. He's using the term of a century. And some of you may have noticed, by the way, those of you who are Ephesians 6, uh, whole armor of God people, you may notice there seems to be a discrepancy because they don't match up. Breastplate, breastplate, it's a different ones. That's not the, there's no actual like literal armor. He's using an analogy here to say, hey, be on guard. Be ready for this day. Be ready for this day by living as citizens of the kingdom because this king is coming. And this is basic Pauline theology. Our behavior is based on who we are. 
And then who we are is based on what he did. Because look how he closes it out. We're done. Hey, people in the sun, you ready for me to wrap this up? It's coming. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. How does Christians faith death? We just point to Jesus. How do we face anything? (laughs) We point to Jesus. Paul's answer to everything is, who are you? You're a child of God. How are you a child of God? Because of what Christ has done on your behalf on the cross. And he's constantly pointing us back to that. And that's our job, church. Paul is setting the example for us constantly, just as Jesus did with Martha. When people are depressed, when people are facing death, when people have questions, when people are struggling, the only reason we as Christians are still here is because God left us here to tell people that the king is coming. He has defeated every problem they could ever have. He's defeated all of that death. It may not be great now, but he's coming. And our job is to be gospelers who carry the good news of our conquering king to the rest of the world. Our job is not to be people who are constantly trying to build end-of-the-world timelines and charts, but that we would instead carry the gospel to the far edges of the world. And, you know, if you think about it, the Bible does tell us, doesn't it, that when we receive the Spirit, Jesus' command to us as he left was, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And if you make that statement in Israel... Medford, Oregon is kind of the ends of the earth. (laughs) Amen? So let's be about that, church. I'm going to pray and close, but listen, can I just say, if you're here and and you've never never made that decision to follow Jesus, you don't know what we're talking about, or maybe you've been playing church for a really long time, or whatever the case may be, we're going to have some... Where's Aaron at, by the way? Aaron, are you here? Do we have the prayer room open in light of all the fumes and all that stuff? Okay, cool. We'll have some guys over here at the prayer room. If you just go right through that doorway, we would love to meet and pray with you. Um, Even if you don't have time today, we can get your information. We'd like to talk with you. Um, We want you to know this amazing king who's coming, but who loves you so much that he died on your behalf as well. Amen, church? Let's stand and pray. Jesus, thank you for being our provision for the coming wrath. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you, God, that I, it's just, it's amazing that you would look at us with all our faults and failures and rebellion and all these things, that you would look at us and love us, that you, the God of all creation, would die for us. It's unbelievable. And Lord, may we be people who live in the light of your return, knowing who we are, knowing why we're here, and knowing what we're to do with our time, that we not be caught um, afraid at your coming, ashamed at your coming, that we might be about the business of the kingdom, spreading the good news of our king who has conquered our enemy. So God, may you equip us for that. May your spirit empower us for that. May you give us boldness for that. And Lord, for those who are here and around us in our lives that don't know you or don't believe, Lord, may you soften their hearts. May you save and heal. And then, Lord, after all that, we do pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So, hey, remember, no Wednesday night service because it's too hot, but we will be back here at what time next week? 9.30. God bless you guys. Love you.